0: The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, good morning, ACF Church. Good morning. Hey, it's snowing. We're all happy. We're on a better mood. Man, it's so good. Five hours and twenty-eight minutes. Today. That's, it's, it is the, officially the shortest day of the year. It only gets better from here, church. So, I'm very excited about that. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, we're just excited to be with you this, this morning. Um, it's been a great series called God in the Manger. We're closing out our series today and just looking forward to, uh, Christmas Eve on Wednesday. And so, as Travis said, get your tickets out in the lobby, invite some friends, uh, some life groups are caroling and just handing out invites if, if you want to just make a little basket or something, you know, and, and just put an invite in there, invite your neighbors. Be sure to do that. We've got three opportunities this Wednesday to, to go to, the, to a service. And so make sure you pick one that works for you. Get, get your ticket so that we know how many seats Uh, are filled in the room and make sure we have enough room for you. So it's been a blast. The series has been really fun. We launched what's called the ACF wish initiative. And so online on social media, what we did is ask you guys to hashtag ACF wish with something that you dreamed of this Christmas. Maybe it's something that you want, like a, like a gift, or maybe it's something, maybe healing for somebody in your family that you'd love people to be praying for, whatever it can be. And so our goal was that everybody in the church sometime this season would get on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Twitter and do a hashtag ACF wish. And so I want to tell you, if you if you want to do that during church today, go ahead and do that. No judgment from me if you're on your phone. I'll assume that you're doing that or reading your Bible or something spiritual. So um, get on your phone, do a hashtag ACF wish. Just something uh, to be part of that conversation. But we've got a few of those to share. If we want to put those up, the first one, um, dog training classes for May. May is actually Mayhem, their dog, and then. Uh, we uh, we had Angela bought them dog training classes. So very good. Nice job. It's the simple things like dog training for a dog named Mayhem. Uh, that makes sense. So thanks so much for uh, Angela for jumping in on their story and just helping out there. Let's see the next one next one, ACF wish prayers for financial peace. in My house, anybody else need some financial peace in their home? I know I do. Um, just continued, uh, peace and how we manage our funds and, and just trust that God will give us what we need. And so we actually gave him a kit, our financial peace class. We're going to be starting one of those up here very, very soon. And so more details on that to come, but it's just a class that we put on by a guy named Dave Ramsey, just to help us learn how to pay off our debt and how to be free and clear when it comes to our finances. And so anyway, just, to uh, jumped in and helped him with that. And the last one Hawks to win over the 49ers. This is the power of hashtag ACF wish they won. It was successful. Boo! Oh, that's a mixed crowd. This is good. Things are changing around here. Um, so anyway, thanks so much for being a part of that with each other and just making some wishes come true. Uh, it's just such a blessing. It's little things that show that you care, show that you matter. And so that's, that's the kind of church we want to be. Um, and so I've already had people say, let's do this next Christmas. Um, and we, we, we will probably do that. So I think that is it for that well, this week, as we're closing up the series, we're talking about Jesus incarnate God in the manger. What does it mean that God put on skin, came to earth As a human being to save us and how does this affect our lives? And so that's where we're going today. And I I, I feel like I feel like the implications are huge as I've been preparing for this and just praying through this. It's just massive what this means for our lives, the the implications of this. And I want to read this Luke two passage. And this is just a classic Christmas passage as we hear about God sending Jesus, his son to earth. It says Luke two, verse seven. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the And In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Just classic passages we hear about God sending his son to earth. And just this just changes everything. Everything for the world and that's where we're going today I want you guys to just pray with me real quick and then we'll we'll dig into it. Jesus We ask that you'd be here in this space God, we just ask that you would uh, Speak to us through your word god that you would change us We ask that this time wouldn't be wasted as we gather together in your name god that we would interact with you Our creator and our savior father and that you would come in you would change us and make us more like yourself God convict us and uh, god we just we just will give you all the praise for what you do here today Pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. If you guys want to watch this clip, we'll continue on in just a second. heten. Vadå? Er Nede där. Så jag på klassetur, och så sa läraren att jag skulle möta henne här. Vet du går er du har telefonen och så läraren då. Nej. Mm. Eller så kunde ni ringa? Ja. Vadå? Aj, jag är er väldigt kall. Det är er kallt. Er yeah. du 때, så Ja, Ja? Du <speaking> du ja. So I love that clip. I saw that this week and uh, I watched it on YouTube, you know, and there's this little closed caption button. I didn't have it on. So this is in Norway. And it was funny. I watched it and I'm like tearing up. I don't even know what it's saying or what anybody's saying, but it's speaking to my heart. You know, Uh, it's just funny. This uh, there's a universal language that we see in this video, and that's the language of love. And how you don't even need to understand what's being said. You don't have to know Norwegian to know that uh, very clearly this little guy, he's sitting on a park bench or at a bus, bus station and he's cold and he needs a coat. And these people are walking by him and you're just saying to yourself... Give the kid a coat right through the whole clip. Somebody give him a coat. Somebody help him out. You know, uh, actually, once I turned the closed caption on, what I saw was this was just sort of an experiment that they did. Uh, this little guy was at the bus stop and they had him say he was waiting at a, for a field trip and that his teacher was supposed to come pick him up at the bus stop. And so um, the, the, I, the question was, what would you to help do to help Johannes? You know, would you be the one to help? And as I watched that video, I was immediately convicted. And I asked myself the question, who would I be in that video? Like, which one was I was would I be uh, one of the blurred out people, you know, because you saw there's people that you could see and there's people that were blurred out that obviously didn't give them permission to use their face in the video, um, probably because they didn't do anything, you know. And who wants to be in a video where you are the person that passes up an opportunity to help a little guy, you know, and then there were the people that were helping the people that just chose in a moment of need to step into somebody else's situation and to give up of themselves to get cold so that somebody else could be warm, you know, I mean, that's a big deal. It means a lot. And so I asked myself the question, who would I be? Who would I be? So question for you today. Do you like to receive help? Anybody like to receive help? Anybody good at receiving help? Because I'm not good at it. I hate to receive help. I will break my back getting something up the stairs before I call one of you to come to my house for five minutes to help me with it. I just like to do things on my own. I don't like to need anybody else's help. Any guys connect with that? Come on. Come on, dudes. We and ladies, I get it. Sometimes we just want to do things on our own. We don't want help. We feel like we can do it without anybody else. And it's hard. I I don't like, I don't like massages. Anybody like massages? I've actually, I've never had a massage in my life because I'm weirded out by the whole idea. that, That I'm paying somebody to rub oil all over my body and I would just, I would just feel bad for this poor person. I'm like, man, you could be doing anything else. Here you are stuck in a little room with me rubbing oil all over my body. It just feels bad. I would feel bad for the person like, man, I don't, I'll figure it out on my own. You know, I'll just take care of myself. I don't need anybody else to do it. One day I will man up and I will get a massage and I will deal with it, but I haven't done it yet. Um, there's something called the Enlightenment movement that came up into the 1800s. And it, it was all about this, this idea that we could just do this all on our own. If we could just get more information and base our lives around solid facts, we just get more facts and more information, then what we would do is we would actually fix the world's problems, you know? Slowly, things like injustice and, uh, and, and social issues and our relational issues would just melt away because we would understand the world in a better way. You know, and, and even on a deeper version, there's there's sort of this idea in, in the culture today that you just need to get to know yourself in a deep, deep way. And, and you just need to be, become more like who you are at your most natural state. This idea that the pinnacle of human existence is just to be yourself. It's kind of the just be yourself movement. You know, you are you are you and to be you is good and just be what you are most naturally. And, and in the end, that's where you're going to find peace and joy in the world. And so my question is, how's that all working out for you? You know. How's that working out? Does it seem like slowly in the world, everything's becoming more peaceful? Do you feel like as you get to know yourself more that what you see is that, you know, you're happier and you just become more at peace with who you are at your core? Because I don't, you know, I found that in my life, the more I get to know myself, the more I dislike what I see, you know, the more I realize in that video, I'm the guy walking by, you know, and and so, and I want to say this There's sort of a a tendency to be like, well, so maybe what you're saying, Brian, is I'm supposed to meet every need. And let me tell you, that's not the case. There's only one Messiah, and it's not you, and it's not me, right? So you don't have to feel like you have to fix everybody's problems or you're there. uh, You can't own a coat or you have to feel bad for having a coat because somewhere there's a little boy who needs a coat. Uh, That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there's something to be thought about here, some conviction maybe to be experienced as we say, who am I? Am I somebody that receives help and am I somebody who gives help? And then, or, or is my philosophy, maybe we don't need anybody else. And if I can just know the world better and I can know myself better, I can just get by without having to deal with things like faith. You know, that's kind of what the culture says. Just get to know yourself better. And this is kind of scary to me um, because, I mean, what if like right now, I was just like, everybody, whatever you would do naturally, just do it. Like here in just like a second. Like, let's just see what happens. Like, just go. How many of you are freaked out? Like, how many of you are really worried? Like if, if just for one day, I was just like everybody, whatever you most naturally do, just do that and we're all going to be happy. Anybody think that's going to work out really well? There's, there's, there's a movie coming out like that. What is that movie where it's like everything's legal for a day or something? The The purge. So the purge is coming out. It's the same kind of idea. Everything's legal for a day. I've seen the previews. It doesn't look good. It doesn't turn out well. This idea that if you just become who you are naturally, you just become the deepest version of yourself. Everything's going to be okay. It's it's not. And the problem is at our very core is something called sin and wickedness. And and it's not a popular message. And churches don't like to talk about it. And it's it's a hard sell. Because it's a difficult thing to, to discuss, but it is really the launching point to us experiencing peace this Christmas, enjoy this Christmas like we want to. And so we're going to go to God's word and let God's word speak to us about who we are at our core apart from God. Psalm 14:3 says this, they have all turned aside together. They have been, become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So if you thought you were the one that does good, the Bible says you're not, you're not the one, you're not, you're not the exception to the rule. Like, wow, yeah, there's a lot of bad people, but I'm pretty good. He says, there's no one And and our culture, our culture doesn't really get this because we judge ourselves on sort of a sliding scale. You know, we grade ourselves on a curve. It just depends on who you're around. You know, like if, if you feel like a moron, all you have to do is go find somebody who's more of a moron than you are and you don't be, you don't feel like a moron anymore. It's great. You know, or if if you today are like, well, I'm really bad at math. Well, all you have to do is take a calculus test with my four year old. And all of a sudden you're going to feel like a brilliant genius, you know, because because it's just it's about who you compare yourself to. You know, if you compare yourself to a four year old in math, you're going to feel brilliant and look like a genius but if you feel good if you like you're like i'm a good person i set you next to mother teresa you're going to feel like dirt right so somehow here there has to be a bigger way of determining who we are at our core and scripture's saying that at our core is is wickedness proverbs 29 who can say i have made my heart pure i am clean from my sin he's not asking for volunteers saying nobody can say this Psalm 58, 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Jeremiah 17:9. the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans 3, 9 says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Merry Christmas. You're like, this sermon stinks. I know. So it's, we're going to get there. It's going to get better, I swear. It's a hard sell. I get this is like, this is depressing. We don't really like this. In fact, it was funny. A friend of mine left church a while back and, and, uh, and he was like, man, I just, I really didn't like church today. And I'm like, oh, well, tell me why. What was the deal? He's like, well, he he just talked about sin. And I'm like, okay. He said, I felt really bad. And I was like, okay. What else? Yeah, that's about it. I just it felt bad. I'm like depressed. I'm like, I don't think you're depressed. I think you're just a Christian. I think it's just conviction. I think maybe God's like we don't we don't understand the value of, of, of conviction and how sometimes conviction and depression feel very similar. Like they're a similar feeling and and it's an important thing to feel conviction. But we don't like that feeling, you know, and the thing is conviction is the gateway to contentment. You want to be content. You want to experience peace in your life. You're going to have to deal with some conviction because conviction, I hope, is going to lead to change. And when it leads to change, there can be contentment and peace that you're looking for. You know, like if you're convicted that in January you're going to get healthy, which Amanda and I are going on a diet in January, but we're going to eat like pigs until then. So we're just going to gorge ourselves. But if I was like, I'm convicted, I want to be healthy in January, and I want to eat cupcakes and eggnog every day for breakfast. You're going to be like, no, dude, you're not going to get what you're looking for. You're not going to get the peace and contentment that you want. You've got to change something, but it starts with experiencing conviction and this desire to see something else change in your life. I've got one more happy passage for you, um, one more to share, but I want to do it differently because so I'm a music guy, I, I'm a musician, I love music and music speaks to me. And uh, you guys probably know that sometimes you get in your car and when you pick a song to drive to, you pick a song based on your mood, right? So if you're in a happy mood, you're going to listen to a happy you know, Christmas song. And if you're sad and down, you want to find just like a brooding, sad, you know, angry song to kind of fit with your mood. And so what, what I was thinking as I was reading these passages and I was like, I was thinking in this room are probably two kinds of people. Um, and, and these passages about sin come off two different ways in your life. And so I was thinking what we need is a soundtrack to talk about how we feel when we hear these verses, and so, um, so I'm going to read both verses over different soundtracks. So, would you guys start that in the back, Dwayne? So, first soundtrack. Let's turn this up. Set the mood. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> this is awesome. Like, are we like at a cult? What is this place? It's kind of creepy. Okay. So you can thank the 300 soundtrack for that one. I think it's called like gates of fire or something, which kind of, it's kind of fitting. So anyway, some of you feel that like when you're hearing me talk about sinfulness, you're like, Oh, this stinks. I don't like this. It feels bad and kind of scary. He's talking about sin and and others of you. This one fits your mood maybe a little bit, a little bit better. I'm going to read again. Here we go. Go wait for it to start. Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, that's good. What's the song? Come on. Love is an open door. we got some parents in this service. First service, crickets. Nobody got it. I'm like, come on. No frozen, people. Okay, so I just was looking for a way to mix some frozen into my sermon. So how do you feel when you hear these verses? This is, this is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. He's like, here's who you were. You were dead in your trespasses, lost in your sin, But then there's hope in Jesus as he continues on. So here's who you were. And some of you hear that. And here's the difference. If you hear those words and it feels more like the 300 soundtrack than the Frozen soundtrack, the difference is what have you done with Jesus? That's the difference. If you've heard of Jesus, you know of Jesus. You know Christmas is all about Jesus. The question is what have you done with Jesus? Because what you've done with Jesus determines how these verses land on your spirit. They will land differently depending on what you've done with Jesus, but they're pretty clear and they're pretty hard cells. You know, it's like we are a children of wrath and he's not just saying, you know, you do wrathful things or bad things. He's saying at your core, you are bad. It's not just that you lie. It's that you're a liar. It's not just that you cheat. It's that you're a cheater. It's at your very core that you are bad. And you're like, well, Brian, I also do good things. And I'm like, I. I get it. We've all done good things. And we all like to kind of put our good things up on a pedestal. It's sort of like, remember that good thing I did? Remember that coat I gave to that kid one day? Or, you know, remember that, that money I gave to this family that needed it? You know, or whatever it was that you did that you were like, that was really good. But he's saying that no matter what the good was that you did, in the end, at your very core, even your motives are wrong. You know, it, it says that even, even the best of your, of your deeds are like filthy rags before God. So the best thing that you can do without Jesus is still like filthy rags. It's still worthless before God. So we've done some good things, but even in our good things, if I'm honest, my motivation isn't always to care for somebody else. If I'm honest, I do good things most of the time so I can feel good, you know. Like, it's Christmas. Who doesn't like to help people around Christmas? Who doesn't like to go down to the soup kitchen, serve some soup? It feels good. Come on. It feels good to do good things around Christmas. But my question is, what does my life look like in January? You know? Is it the same? Do I still care for people? Do I still meet needs? Not that I'm giving out gifts to everybody all the year round, but maybe I should. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe I should give out gifts occasionally. You know, I don't know. Has it changed your life? Is anything different? Or is it all the same? So he's saying there's this systematic problem with our souls, and the occasional good deed doesn't fix it. It doesn't fix it. And so this leads us into the next part of the conversation, and that's Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate. God comes to earth through Jesus to save us. So throughout the Old Testament, if you read it, Without the lens of Jesus, it looks a little weird. But if you read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, it all starts to make sense. All of the foreshadowing, you know, of of the coming of Christ, all of the the, the prophecy in Isaiah, even down to God making clothing for Adam and Eve to cover up their their sinfulness and their, their new realization of their nakedness. It's all foreshadowing, telling the story of the one who would come and cover us for good. And that's Jesus Himself, Even the law, as you read the law and all, the, all of the, the sacrifices that were supposed to be made, even those things were, in Hebrews 10, it calls them the, a shadow of things to come. It says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. So it's saying that even, even the law... Even if you did it well, it would never make you perfect. You know, God wasn't like, well, if somebody would just nail this, maybe maybe then I would forgive you. Or maybe then we could fix this broken relationship between me and humanity. He wasn't just just waiting for somebody to do it right. It was all telling the story, setting the stage so that humanity, humanity could understand our sinfulness our inability to, to meet the standard that God sets and the holiness of God and our need for a mediator, somebody to fix this relationship between us and him and to make things right, and that would ultimately be Jesus. By one sacrifice, he fulfills all of what was prophesied in the old Testament. And Jesus wasn't just like a backup plan. He wasn't like God wasn't looking at the world going, come on, let's do this. Let's fix this. They can't ever seem to get it right. I guess I, Jesus, what are you doing for the next 33 years? You know, just go to earth and fix this mess. You know, it it wasn't a backup plan. It says he was the plan from before time to come and to reveal God's love for humanity by willingly sacrificing his son. That's a different God. If you read it through that lens, if, if you read the Old Testament through that lens, it's a different God than people sometimes perceive God being. Like, if you don't read it through that lens, you just see God is angry and wrathful and mean, and he just wants to light everybody on fire, right? It's like, I don't get it. He just seems like he's trying to kill people and then get them to kill animals. And it's all telling a story. And even in the Old Testament, it's not like God changed in the New Testament. God was a God of grace in the Old Testament, God was a God of forgiveness. When the people repented in the Old Testament, there was so much grace and forgiveness. He didn't change. So then Jesus comes as the per- perfect fulfillment of all this stuff, and he becomes the true and the better version. Like he's the true and better Adam. He's, he passed the test when it came to sin. He, he acted in righteousness, and now he imputes that righteousness on us. Jesus is the better Abraham, answering God's call to co and to lead God's people. He's he's the true and he's the better Moses, standing in between the people and God as a mediator, not just speaking to God for the people or speaking to the people from God, but he is God himself. It says he's the better word of God. He's the word incarnate. John 1 speaks to this. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So in the beginning, before any of this happened, was Jesus. Jesus existed before humanity was even created. And so then he sends Christ as the perfect word coming to earth. God incarnate to heal this broken relationship. So in the Old Testament, there were three different offices. This is important stuff. I think this really changes things. There were three offices that kind of prophesied of, of what Christ was going to do, but do it better. And there was the office of prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. The, the prophets, their job uh, was to speak for God to the people, which um, you can imagine doesn't always make you the most popular guy In school, you know, like if you're speaking for God to the people, that's not always going to be received that well. Um, It's kind of like, have you ever spoken the truth and then been, you know, lashed out because you spoke the truth? Now, we don't do it perfectly. We speak the truth at the wrong time. Sometimes we just need to shut up. But the prophet would speak to God at the right time and and then God would use him to convict the people. Then there was the priest. And a priest served as kind of a mediator between men and God, giving sacrifices for the people. And there was this day called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, which was this day where um, it's once a year and the high priest would go in and go to the tabernacle. He would sacrifice a bull. He'd sprinkle the blood of the bull on the Ark of the Covenant. And then he'd go into the Holy of Holies with these two goats like weird stuff, huh? With two goats and the first goat, he would slaughter the goat and he'd sprinkle the blood on the ark. And that represented the wrath of God poured out on this one goat. The second goat, he would put his hands on the head of the goat, confess the sins of the people onto the goat, and then release it off into the wilderness. And that's where the, the term scapegoat came from. And so that, that goat represented the release and the, the atonement of all of the sins of the people. And so if you see this stuff and you read it at first, you're like, this is just bizarre. Why? Why blood? Why dead animals and and these kind of things? Well, it was all painting a picture of this Jesus that was to come. He was going to be the sacrifices for both of these animals. He was going to be the perfect sacrifice. Because like we just read, year after year, they would do the same thing. And in no way did it ever make them right before God. Jesus would come and fulfill everything beautifully. Prophet, priest, and then there's king, the office of king. And the king was just a ruler over God's people. And so Jesus come, he comes as the better prophet, as the better priest, as the better king. He comes as a better prophet because he doesn't just speak for God, he speaks actually as God. He comes as the better priest because he doesn't just get a bunch of goats and animals and sacrifice those things to God for the sins of the people. He himself was the sacrifice. For all times. He's the better king in that he doesn't just reign for God. He reigns as God. Do you see the difference? You see how Jesus comes? He he fulfills all of these things in such a beautiful, beautiful way. And the implications are huge on our lives. 1 Timothy 2 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So there it is. The man, Christ Jesus, talking about the humanity that God sent his son, Jesus, to earth. He didn't re- relinquish any of his divinity and any of his humanity. He was completely man. He was completely God. So Jesus comes to earth, prophet, priest, and king. And, these, and it says some amazing things to us. The incarnation speaks some amazing things to us. The first thing is this. It says, we have a problem. The incarnation says, we got an issue. Like, Jesus isn't just coming on vacation to earth Got nothing better to do. Maybe he just wants to come to earth, have a little fun, go back to heaven. There's something wrong. There's a brokenness between us and God, a broken relationship. So the incarnation says, we got an issue. And for me growing up, it kind of sounded like this. Wait till your father comes home. That's what it sounded like in my house. Houston, we have a problem. When mom says, wait till your dad gets home. Or when you come home from school and dad's already home, like waiting. You don't go in the house, you know, you know, you did something and it's coming. God sends his son to humanity and it says we better perk up and listen. There's something going on here. There's something not right. He brings conviction. He brings accountability to our action. This is Jesus coming to earth as the prophet. He says, listen, things are not okay between you and I. Things are not right. Your natural tendencies are are to be children of wrath, not of righteousness. John twelve forty eight says, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on his last day. So he's saying, listen, I'm taking away all your excuses. I am telling you what's expected of you. And what's expected is, is holiness and righteousness. And none of us do it well. We all screw that up every time. So that means being an incarnational Christian means developing an awareness of our sin. It means developing this knowledge and this ability to see our sin for what it is. Because that's what Jesus did. He came and he showed us, listen, you have missed the mark. The incarnation says, I'll help you. This is Jesus as the priest. He says, listen, I'm going to help you. I'm here to help you. Mark 10, 45 says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve And to give his life as a ransom for many. And and this is easy for some of you because you're like, awesome. I need some help. You know, I need some help. For others of you, this is a hard sell because maybe you don't want to admit that you need help. Maybe like we talked earlier, you don't like to receive help. Or maybe what you've been doing is putting off truly following God, truly making a commitment to Christ and to his church because you can't do it. You're waiting until maybe you figure this out or maybe you get rid of this little sin in your life or you start acting more righteous to come to God. Jesus is like, that's no excuse. I'm here to help you. I am your righteousness. I am everything that you need. It's a beautiful thing for him to say. It says that God's not done with you. It says that whatever you're experiencing right now that you can't seem to get through, Jesus is like, I'm with you in it. I'm for you. I'm next to you. I'm here helping you get through this one thing. We need to be okay with getting help. We need to be okay with turning to Jesus and knowing that we can't do this on our own. We need, to, we need to receive that gift today. So being an incarnational Christian means receiving and giving help. This is what Jesus does. He shows up and he gives help. As an incarnational Christian in this world, we're, we're going to reflect him to the world. That means we're going to give help to people. We're going to be that first person to step up and volunteer to help when somebody has a need. And we're also going to be okay and not too proud to receive help, you know? I've got to get better at this. I'm not good at getting help. The Incarnation says, I am God. It says, I am God. I'm not just a man coming to earth, I am God Himself. This is Jesus as the King. John 17, 16 says, They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Again, Jesus is saying, This isn't my home, you know? I'm here visiting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help, but, but eternity is my home. This new kingdom that he preached about is his home. And so he kept preaching about this new thing to come, this new kingdom. And he came in and he flipped all of their religious rules upside down and said, no, I don't know what you think you're living for, but this is what it's all about. Eternity is what it's all about. And so with Jesus as your king, what happens is you don't need to obsess about Tomorrow. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. Jesus says that, you know, consider the lilies of the field. that neither toil nor spin. They don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. It's not something you need to worry about. We don't need to worry about physical beauty. How many of you know that that's going away? Yep, I can see it happening already. I'm all of 32 years old. It's going away. Uh, it's, the, the Bible says we're in this constant state of decay. The, the world is just decaying. And so we're just trying to put on enough makeup or go to the gym enough to make sure that we don't feel like we look too bad. But the reality is it's, it's going away. And so if you're obsessing about physical beauty, at some point you're going to be confronted with this reality that it's going to go away. And what does that mean for you? What does it mean for you that, that the things that you build on this earth will ultimately be destroyed? Unless there's an eternal impact that you're making through those things. Jesus, he comes as the most glorious of all men. But it said in the Bible that he was nothing great to look at, you know? He was nothing special to look at, but he was the most glorious of all people. How's your heart? Do you determine your beauty by your heart, you know? What are you using to determine beauty and value in this world? Jesus is king. If he's the king, you don't have to worry about the next promotion, the next step up the ladder, you know, the next thing with your business. You don't have to worry about those things because in the end, Jesus is king. Now hear me, do all of those things well. Do them with all your heart, but do them for an eternal impact. And when, they, when you make that eternal impact, it's actually going to mean something. Like it's actually going to continue on. It won't just burn away, rust, and be destroyed. So The question is, when people see you, do they see Jesus coming to earth? If you're an incarnational Christian, people are going to see Jesus on earth. This is what it means to be somebody who gets the incarnation. God would skin on, right here, right in front of us. So it means to know Jesus as your prophet, to know him as your priest and as your king. But here's what, here's what happens is oftentimes we know him as maybe a couple of those things, but there's one that's missing, You know? If Jesus isn't your prophet, what you're going to see God is is a helper to make your life better. You're going to see him as king, the one in charge, but you're going to feel like you're pretty good without him. You're going to feel like you're okay without his help if he's just your priest and he's your king. And some of you today, you feel that way, like, listen, Brian, I know God's here. He sends Jesus to help me, but I'm kind of doing okay without him. I'm kind of okay, and if, if we're honest, a lot of times, Christians, we live this way. Like, we just go through life kind of like we're just, we're, we're doing pretty good. Life's all right. And it always concerns me when I, when I ask people, like, what is God convicting you of lately? Like, what is God saying I want this to you in your life about? And, and you don't have an answer for that. That means maybe Jesus isn't your prophet. Maybe he's not speaking into you, because let me tell you, there's a lot of work to do. I can see that. Like I said, the more I look at myself, the more I get to know myself at a deep level, the more I dislike what I see. And the more I want Jesus as what defines me at the deepest of levels. So that's what we want to do. We want him as our prophet. In my life, I was uh, in junior high school. Music was everything to me. And uh, I started playing the guitar then. And if you don't know me, I was worship leader here for a lot of years. And I just stepped in and started teaching recently. Um, But music is everything. It it has defined my life. And there was this one moment where this guy came to my Sunday school class at our little Baptist church. And he came in and he started talking about um, some things that he had done. He was an ex-con. He'd gotten out of prison. God has changed his life in prison. And he started talking about how this this music and this media had gotten into his heart and and affected him in a really negative way. And as a 13-year-old, this was ticking me off, you know. Just like any prophet, I hated the guy. I couldn't stand that he was telling me that what I was doing was wrong, was making something an idol that was a placed above God. And so in that moment, Jesus convicted me personally that I, I had created an idol in my life and that I was defined by this one thing. And, and you might think, well, that's it's not a big deal, but we've all got that one thing right now. Like you all have that one thing that you're using to define yourself that's just a little bit more important than Jesus he wants to be your prophet today. He wants for you to look that thing right in the eye and deal with it today. If Jesus isn't your priest, what you're going to do is be really aware of your sin, the prophet side of things, and you're going to know that, that Jesus is king, the kingship ship side of things, but you're going to feel like you can never be good enough. He wants to be your priest. He wants to be the mediator. He wants to be with you in the process. This is the part of you that when you hear the verses about sinfulness and wrath, that you're like, oh, it kills me. I don't want to hear about that. Because it convicts us and we're not letting Jesus be our helper. We're letting him be alongside of us. He's not just some king sitting a thousand miles away saying, get better, act better. He's with us in the mess. He joins us in the mess of humanity, takes on the skin of men, dies, bleeds for us, steps into our issues. This is why Christianity is so much different than any other religion. Because our God doesn't just yell at us from a mile away that we're not good enough. He actually gets down into the mess with us and says, listen, I am the standard. Holiness is the standard, but I'm going to help you and I will be your holiness. I will define you. It's so easy to become this person to just run from anything that makes you feel a little bad. You don't have to. You can look your sin in the eye. You can look your inadequacies in the eye and you can say, listen, I know it's bad, but I'm just so thankful that Jesus is my priest. You can have that today. For me, this was I was convicted to give up music for a season. As a 13 year old, I'd never been convicted of anything in my life, you know. For the first time, I felt this feeling that God said, listen, it's between me and this. Like he drew a line in the sand. I knew it in my heart that I had to make a choice and he empowered me. And I I spent a year without playing music or listening to music or anything like that. And for me, that was a really, really big deal. And for you right now, whatever that thing is that you're saying, no, I'm not going to give this up. God may be wanting to, to change your heart towards that thing. He may be wanting to come in and say, listen, how are you going to place me above that thing in your life? And if Jesus isn't your king, what you're going to do is you're going to know the standard. He's going to speak to you like the prophet. He's going to say, listen, holiness is the standard. He's going to help you. You're going to get better. He's going to change your life. But you're going to do it for all the wrong reasons. If he's not the king, if if it's all not about him coming through him and for him, then you're going to become the classic religious person. The person that does all the good things around Christmas. You know, you look squeaky clean on the outside. You've got it all together. But on the inside, Jesus would say that you're like whitewashed tombs, you know. You're clean on the outside, but just filthy on on the inside. We need Jesus as our king. We need it to be all about him. Everything about him. It's crazy. Jesus, it seems like he he reserves the harshest rebuke for the religious, for those that just do the right thing for the wrong reasons. And there's nothing wrong with feeling joy in doing the right thing. There's nothing wrong with enjoying righteousness when, when you choose that. But we want the right motivation. We want to do it for God. We want to do it to bring him glory and not me. Jesus needs to be the only king in your life. Some of you, your job is your king. Your husband's your king. Your wife is your king. Your girlfriend is your king. Your, your schooling is your king. Somebody last week, they came up to me and they were like, how's it feel to be a holy man for a living? And I kind of puked in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> and I was like, ah. Because it, it brought out this part of me that's like, as a pastor, there's this tendency to kind of to put the church on the throne in your life. And... When they said that, I just felt this this opportunity in my soul to recommit to Jesus being the only king in my life, you know, and that's my commitment to you guys as I as I serve here, um, that you're not on the throne. Amen. Um, And that I'm not on the throne and that Jesus is on the throne. Um, For some of you, if you're like me, it can be hard to not please people. You run around trying to make everybody happy. Everybody feel good. When they don't, you can't stand it and you're all struggled up on the inside. Jesus wants to be king in your life. He wants to give you the peace that you can't get from trying to fix everybody's problems. Some of you need to know that. Jesus wants to be king. The only king. So here's my question for you. Is Jesus your mediator? Is he what defines you at your core? cuz here's the beautiful thing and Paul talks about this new identity that we get in Christ and this is this is just like a bell I'm going to keep ringing which is the idea that as you come into Christ as you receive him that you no longer identify with the wickedness at the core of your soul that at your very core you're defined by Christ himself that you are intrinsically not something that's bad, but something that's good. If you have Jesus in your life, when you do the wrong thing, it's actually coming out of a side of you that doesn't that, that isn't who you are. Who you are is Christ now. You're defined by Him now. At your very core, you can know that at your very core you are good because Jesus is good, not because you're good. It's so important because I think too many Christians walking around saying, yeah, I'm still a... You know, still a wicked sinner, just a dirty, rotten, rotten sinner saved by grace. You know, it's like, no, no, God has changed you. If you know Jesus, he has changed who you are. Don't identify with your sin. Identify with Christ. So here's my question. Where have you relinquished the truth in your life? Just if you need to close your eyes and think for a second, where have you relinquished The truth. Where have you resisted his help? Where have you refused him as king? Wherever this is, whatever, wherever your mind goes, I believe is where God wants to work today in your heart. This is that one thing you've been hiding under your bed from God. This is that one thing that you're like, God, you can have everything but this in my life. And I believe today, as we look at the incarnation, as we look at God coming down to earth as Jesus, as our better prophet, priest, and our king, as we look that in the eye, we can see that Jesus wants to be our everything. And that we don't have to do it alone And that in the end, no matter what that thing is, it's all about Jesus. And that's all that's going to matter in the end. Here's the key. For us to really, I think, enjoy this Christmas and for us to really receive all of this, we can't just celebrate Christmas. We also need to remember Easter. And and this is one of the hardest things for me about Christmas because it's it's really difficult for me to separate Easter from Christmas. It's really hard for me to, like, celebrate the baby Jesus, you know? Little six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, you know? baby Einstein. It's, it's hard for me to, to appreciate that because I know the rest of the story. If he's just a little baby Jesus, if he's just a a man that came and did some good things, did some miracles and then died, this whole thing means nothing. If Jesus is dead, Christmas is dead. It means nothing. It's just another chance to spend money and rack up your debt, you know, but if Jesus is alive, then this is, this is powerful, you know? If Jesus is alive, then life can be changed. If he's alive, then he conquered your sin and my sin and he conquered death. And we're going to live for eternity with him if we'll follow him. That changes Christmas. That's, a, that's good news. I think we need to remember the entire story this Christmas of Jesus coming as a prophet, priest, and king. And some of you today, I just, if you've been waiting To figure this whole Christianity thing out. Like, if you've been waiting to get your life figured out to follow Him, I just want to invite you today to stop trying. I want to invite you to just give up and say, listen, I can't do this, but I know Jesus is real. I know it in my heart, and I'm willing to follow Him. I want to invite you to do that today. And if you do know Jesus and you're like, no, I get Him, but He's not my prophet, or He's not my priest, He's not my king, I want to invite you to do that today. Receive Him as all of those things, especially in that one area of your life that just came to your mind. And let Him work there. And I assure you, there will be more peace there than you could ever get by figuring things out. Than you could ever get by just doing what comes most naturally. That's the peace that you're looking for. And when you let Him, I think that Christmas will change. Not just this year, but forever. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you, and we are in desperate need of your grace. Father, as we look at our lives, we see that we naturally are a people of of wrath. God, we do things that don't please you, God, and don't please ourselves. Father, we want true peace, not just temporary peace. God, we want to be changed for the entire year, not just for a month of the year. God, we want to live with eternity in mind. Father, I pray that we could receive you as our prophet that we'd receive the truth, God, that we could be convicted of our sin, God, and challenged to live a life of holiness. God, I pray we'd receive you as our priest, that we could be helped by you and receive your help, God, that we would not be too proud to know that we can't do it on our own. I pray that it would all be about you as our king, God, that you would help us to shrug off any religious behavior, God, anything that we're doing that's about us. And, God, we'd let you change our hearts and sanctify us and just bring you glory through the work that you do. Father, I just want to pray for the person in this room who has been waiting to follow you, has been waiting to figure it all out, and to get it right. God, that today could maybe be the day where they walk into new hope and peace. They receive you as their prophet, priest, and king, God, and then you would come in and be their mediator, God, and that you would make right a relationship that's been broken. And, Father, for all of us, that we could live the incarnation all year round. God, that this week, this month, this year, you would show us moments where we can step into somebody else's story. God, where we need to get cold so somebody else can get warm. God, show us those moments and give us the strength and the desire and the vision to be people that step into other people's stories, God, and we help and show them Jesus in that way. We love you. We just prayed in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.